So just a quick comment. Yes, um, I am the, the last and the third born. Um, apparently God did save the best for last. So I'm just going to slide that right in there. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to come back and speak with, uh, before you guys again and, um, and have an opportunity to relay you know, what I felt God laid on my heart. Um, first things first, I'll give an explanation of why I'm wearing the ball cap. Normally, I would make sure that I had my hair done. I did shave my face, I did grease my beard, and uh, life was pretty good. But, would you calm down, please? Hi. We're experiencing technical difficulties. So, uh, during this last hunting season, Eric Vaughn and I were up in the hills, and uh, we had an absolute uh, amazing time. Amazing time. Um, the third night in, we decided that we needed a bit of a change in the atmosphere and the attitude that was in camp. And uh, we saw this on a, a YouTube video that we had been following, um, a, a group of hunters uh, called Born and Raised Outdoors. And uh, so on the third night, Eric Vaughn and I both shaved our heads and gave ourselves mohawks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So, uh, <laughs> so I went to do my hair this morning. Actually, I ran into Katie earlier this week while I was here at the church. And, I, and I, I took my ball cap off, and I'm like, is there anything that we can do with this? Is there anything, sis? And she's like, well, it's not quite long enough just yet. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to own it. No big deal. I'm just going to own it. Life's going to be good. So this morning in front of the bathroom mirror, I went to own it, man. And I slicked that full hawk up, and it just went bring. I'm like, well, that's, you know, probably not. I'm going to wear my I'm going to wear my ball cap. Let's see. Well, she's all pasted down now because I just laid it on back. <laughs> yeah, it don't, it don't look bad right now, but I got about three pounds of grease and a good set of, yeah, yeah. So anyways, I, I am wearing my, my church hat, my, my go-to-town hat, so this is the best the DJ has to offer. So. Um, this morning, I am very, very nervous. Um, I am nervous because uh, this morning on top of preaching, I'm also going to sing for you guys. Yeah, so DJ has not sung in, in years, and I do mean years. I don't remember the last time that, um, that I attempted to, uh, to sing, so I'm a little nervous. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no produce, please. But uh, y'all just try and, try and worship with me this morning, okay? Go ahead. Y'all got into that. I was surprised. <laughs> you know, Dad made the comment that there's some backwoods jeans in there. and Yeah, they, they come out to play every now and then. <laughs> All right, DJ. To serious work to the Lord's work. Well, yeah, I was getting tired. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. My back's felt better ever since. <laughs> so, um, on to my message, y'all. Now, it's been quite some time since the last time I stood up here and I spoke. Um, it's, an honor to, it's an honor to have the opportunity to do it once again. Not much has changed since the last time, but life has been good. I have traveled and God has blessed my journeys. I have hunted and the only thing that I killed was time. I had a lot of fun, though. Gosh, come on. 
But at last, the year is coming to a close and we find ourselves in the middle of the holiday season. To say this is my favorite time of the year would be a serious understatement. I love everything there is about, about Christmas, from the family gatherings to the gifting to the very spirit of Christmas itself and what this time of year represents to us as believers. I know that we're getting close to Christmas, and uh, I considered speaking on the birth of our Lord and Savior. However, I felt like something else had been put on my heart today, and I'd like to take the opportunity to deliver it. The search for a sermon, however, did not go as easily as it had in the past, nor did it in the development of it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I had 12 hours in it yesterday. I had two hours in it on Wednesday. I had an hour in it this morning. Uh, I'm still sweating bullets, so life's good. But, um, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's God who usually gives me the title for the message, and then I continue to, to shape that sermon around... Uh, around that theme and continue to develop it. God inspires the title and it starts small and then it grows to something worthy of delivering. This time, however, I was coming up with completely nothing. And I do mean nothing. Let me be more clear. <laughs> you know what's coming. Uh, I had come up with titles. I certainly came up with titles. Titles like My Taco and Me. Where would you be without salsa? <laughs> or how, breakin, how bacon brought home the prodigal son. <laughs> or my favorite, five ways to successfully kill your marriage. <laughs> now, I nearly spoke on that one. I'm not going to lie. And it's kind of a neat concept. It's kind of a neat concept. It's like a reverse how-to kind of thing. But, uh, but I will save that for another time. Laura Ann, I love you, baby girl. I just I love you. <laughs> so the days clicked by and time had passed. And once again, I found myself under the gun. Personal and professional obligations pressed me for some time as Sunday grew closer and closer. And I began to fret and worry as I always do because I am very, very much a planner. And it seems like every time I get ready to speak, God tests my patience by not providing me with content until just the days before. Early this week, I was sitting on my couch watching Star Wars. That's not in my notes. I just threw that in there. We just got Disney Plus, so I've been catching up on, you know, all of the classics. So as I, yeah. So as I sat and I, and I watched my program... Uh, my wife entered the room and, uh, and sat down next to me, and I paused my show, and I looked at her, and I said, I know that I should be working on my message, but honestly, I just, I have nothing. I feel absolutely, totally, and void of any inspiration. She, saw, uh, she spoke softly to me, as only she can, and said, well, keep it simple, honey. Speak on what you know, and you need to pray about it and spend some time with God. Now, obviously, she was right regarding the prayer part, and I needed to pray and commune with God more. But her initial response, speak on what you know, was the part that had stuck with me. And it sparked my initial attempt at this message. Weeks ago, I was on the lawnmower dealing with the arrival of the fall leaves. And I was praying and pondering on what God would have me to deliver. And I felt like God put a message in my heart that I wanted to attempt to bring forth. So Wednesday, during my lunch break, I ate quickly, and I began working on my sermon for the remainder of the duration. 
I got off work and I came to the church and I continued to work on my message. I was near, nearly two pages in and flowing beautifully when God stopped my progress with one word. And I'll share that word with you guys in just a moment. If you have your Bibles with you today, I would like for you to go ahead and open to the book of Joel, chapter 2. Joel, chapter 2. And we'll, we'll pause for just a moment so you uh, analog users can catch up. The digital folks are most likely already there. Joel, chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 25. And the scripture reads, so I will restore to you, oh God, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust have eaten, and the crawling locust, and the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. The word that God gave me on Wednesday night as I worked feverishly on my sermon and that stopped me in my tracks was restoration. We're coming to the end of 2019 and we're getting ready to start an entire new decade. The message that God wants me to bring forth today is that this is our time and this is our year for restoration, people. God's going to right some of the wrongs in your life. God's going to provide for some of the needs that you've had going on in your life. God is going to bring order. God is going to bring peace. God is going to bring justification back into the hearts and the lives of his children this year. I lost where I was at, but I was so excited. <clears throat> He's deemed this to be our time, and what the devil has taken away, God is going to bring it back. What the devil has wounded and what the devil has hurt, God is going to heal and make it right. I may literally be preaching to myself this morning, and that is just fine. But 2020 year, uh, 2020 starts a new beginning for me. 2020 starts a year of plenty for me. 2020 is going to start a year where DJ doesn't have to worry about work. I don't have to fret and worry that the orders aren't coming in. Production is going to be busy, and they'll stay busy. DJ doesn't have to worry about his finances. What's in the account is going to be enough. DJ doesn't have to worry about his sons. God's going to go before them, and he's going to protect them from any harm that may attempt to befall them. 2020 begins my year of restoration, folks, and it begins yours as well. Today, I'd like to do something just a little bit different, as if I haven't already done that. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I texted mom about 6.30 in the evening, and I said, I am just, I am just fit to be tied. This message is just so, it's not coming to me naturally, and, I'm, and it's so much harder than what I've done in the past. And, uh, and, and, and mom, mom texted me back, and she said, well, you know, dad kind of, you know, says sometimes that, you know, coming up with a message is, is almost like birthing a child at times. You know, it's laborious and it, and it takes effort and it doesn't always go the way that you plan. And I texted mom back and I said, yes, but the baby is in breach. <laughs> it's messy and it's not going well. 
So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm just going to ask you to reach your hands up this way. Send a little bit of authority my way. Send a little bit of the, a little bit of God's authority my way. Send a little bit of anointing my way. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, God, and we thank you, God, and we praise you, Lord, for the time that we've had to come together in your house. One mind and one accord to lift up and praise your holy, holy name. God, God I have, oh Lord, I have spent time on this, God, and I have followed your direction and I have followed your lead. Heavenly Father, I would just simply ask that you would bless the speaker this morning, God. Bless this humble servant of yours, Heavenly Father, and let him bring forth the truth, God. And the message that you have put on my heart this morning, God, let me deliver it eloquently, Heavenly Father. Let it be easily digested, God, and let it not return void. Heavenly Father, what I send out this morning, let it touch hearts, God. Let it change lives under the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. In your name, we thank you and we praise you for it. Amen and amen. amen. Got my hanky. Restoration, now I have heard that word spoke while I was praying in a group when I was a younger man, and the word itself has always intrigued me. It's a word of power and it is a word of promise, the word of revitalization. Restoration means, by definition, the act of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Meaning you owned it once, but somehow it went missing, and now it's coming back. It's not where you left it, but by God, you're going to find it again. It was new and it was shiny once, but over time it's been beaten down and it's been tarnished. Now only bearing a vague resemblance to what it once was. But you know what? God's going to make it new again. Get this deep down in your heart this morning, the folks. The verse number 25 starts out saying, I will restore to you the years, the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Some of you folks, me including, have been battling with something for years and years and years, trying and trying to overcome, but never seeming to make progress on it. Year after year brings the same results. God is saying enough is enough, and this is your time and this is your year to be an overcomer in me. This might be health-related. It may be financial, spiritual, material. But everything that has been taken from you is coming back. Now, some of you may say, oh, Lord. This old boy has gotten way ahead of himself. It ain't even Christmas yet, and he's already preaching his way into the new year. Don't you talk about Groundhog's Day while you're at it there, eh? And yes, yes, this is a message for the new year, and thank God for it. But the timing could not be more perfect. In order for us to receive the gifts that God has planned for us, in order to receive the restoration that God has set aside for us, it's going to take a little bit of effort on our part. It's going to take some faith on our part, and it's going to take some change on our part. We have three weeks, just over three weeks, before the new year arrives. That gives us time to try and to fail. 
and to pick ourselves back up, clean ourselves back up, and try again and fail. Repeat, repeat, repeat. You may not get it right on the first time around, but keep trying. Keep persevering. You may stumble and fall, but keep trying. Keep moving forward. These next few weeks, give us time to get ourselves and our spirit man in a place where we can receive the blessings of God that he has in store for us. But it's going to take some effort from us to get there. Last Sunday, I stood in the back of, uh, of, of church during song service, and I tried to focus on worshiping God. But thought after thought continued to plague my mind and distract me from the, uh, the service that was going on. I need to do this. I need to email so-and-so. I forgot to do this. It seems like for the past several months, I have simply been under constant attack from the enemy. I fret and I worry about this. I focus on that. I push and I push and I push at work. And nothing happens. It doesn't, it doesn't get me anywhere. I'm tired when I lay down to rest. And I'm tired when I get up in the morning. My physical and my spiritual man have simply had it. And it was during that very last song last week that I was able to finally silence my mind and focus on God. And I begin to pray. As I prayed, my shoulders began to droop and my back began to loosen as though in that moment I didn't need my physical strength. I didn't need to be strong. My prayer went a little something like this. I said, my father, (laughs) God, I feel so absolutely lost. I feel so extremely exhausted, both mentally and spiritually, Heavenly Father. I feel absolutely beaten down by the day-to-day. I don't understand, Lord. (laughs) How am I supposed to minister next Sunday? How can I pour from a pitcher, God, that's already empty? How can I draw water from a well that's so dry? Lord, please grant me the strength, God. Please grant me the ability. And please grant me the understanding so that I may speak the words that you would have me to. I'm a crier, guys. Just so you know, I'm a crier. (sighs) The tears dehydrate me. Just one second. (sighs) We're men. I continued to pray and tears began to fill my eyes as God touched my heart. After that, pastor stepped into the pulpit and delivered a message in tongues. I know, I don't know how many of you felt that that message was for you last week, but I know that my God was speaking to me. Dad's message read, for behold, I, the Lord, would say unto you, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I called forth my son to redeem man? Yea, I would say unto you this morning that I have brought you unto me. I have brought you unto my side and you are mine, says the Lord. Look to me. I know you have needs. (laughs) I know you have struggles, but I am your right hand, says the Lord. Yea, I will uphold you and I will strengthen you. And thou shalt be an overcomer in me, says your father unto you this morning. I know, right? 
Moments later, Sandy Swanson made her way to the pulpit and relayed yet another message that God had given to her. Sandy said that God had put it on her heart that when people came in that morning that they were literally wearing grave clothes. The Lord said, by faith, step out of that tomb and remove those grave clothes. Today is your day of recovery, but it's going to take a step of faith on your part. As you begin to step out, those grave clothes will begin to fall off and you will walk in victory. First, I want to acknowledge and I want to thank God for telling me exactly what I needed to hear last Sunday. How many of you know that it exactly, it's exactly like our Heavenly Father to give us precisely what we need at the exact moment that we need it? Last Sunday, I needed a word. I needed a nudge from God. And he came through in fine style as he always does. Now, the second part of the message that was sent our way, I'd like to revisit this morning. Sandy had said, today is your day of recovery. Today is your day of recovery. But it's going to take a step of faith on our part. It's going to take action on our part if we want to obtain the prize that God has in store for us. It's not going to happen by chance, but by a dedicated, pre-calculated move on our part. We need to take a step out in faith. Now, I want to revisit the scripture that I read with you a few moments ago, and I want to give you a little bit of context on what's going on uh, while Joel the prophet had written this book. First of all, this book was written absolutely beautifully. Um, I encourage each and every one of you to read it. It's descriptive and it's, an in, it's intriguing, but it's easily, to, easily read and digested. I'm reading my text today from the New King James Version, which makes it that much easier to understand. Now, the prophet Joel spoke to the southern kingdom of Judah. It's hard to pin down his exact timeline because he doesn't mention any other kings or prophets during that era. Many scholars believe the date of the book to be about 835 B.C. This makes Joel to be a pre-exilic prophet or prior to the exile of the Jews to Babylon in 600 B.C. Joel ministered before the king. <clears throat> excuse me, Joel ministered before the fall of the northern king of Israel in 1721 B.C., and before the southern king of Judah, kingdom of Judah, rather, in uh, 586 B.C. 835 B.C. was a time of turmoil and transition in Judah. It was the end of the reign of the queen mother, Athaliah, and the beginning of the reign of the king, Joash. Athaliah seized power at the sudden death and battle of her son, uh, Ahaziah. Son, <laughs> Seriously, I googled pronunciations for like 30 minutes last night. <laughs> yeah. Now, Ahaziah, who reigned for uh, only one year, you can read about that in 2 Kings. Um, Athaliah had killed all of her son's heirs except for one who was hidden in the temple and escaped her grasp, a one-year-old, Josiah. Read about that in 2 Kings. Now let me expound on this for just a moment. Athaliah killed her son Ahaziah's heirs with the exception of one that was hidden away from her so she couldn't get to it. Typically, an heir is a direct descendant of the king, correct? Now, if this is true, then Athaliah killed her own grandchildren. 
She slaughtered her own grandchildren so that she could assume the throne. How absolutely, completely, and consumingly evil this woman had to be. This woman desired to be queen so badly that she she killed her very own grandchildren. We're dealing with a very, very serious evil here. Her six-year reign of terror ended in 835 B.C. when the high priest Jehoiada overthrew Athaliah, got that right, and set the seven-year-old Josiah on the throne. 2 Kings 11, 4 to 21. During her six-year reign of queen over Judah, Athaliah reigned very, very wickedly. She was the granddaughter of the wicked king Omri of Israel, making her the daughter or niece to Ahab, one of Israel's worst kings. Now, Athaliah raised her son, Ahaziah, to reign in the same wicked pattern as Ahab, and even brought in Ahab's counselors in order to give him counsel. When she was killed in battle, or when Ahaziah was killed in battle, she seized power and she set her other sons loose to do evil, as much evil as possible. They even desecrated the temple and all of the sacred things that, that, that were held inside of it. Now I want to go back to Joel chapter one and verse two and do a little bit of reading through there. And you guys can follow me or you can simply listen to me. I want to paint a picture of what life was like during these turmoil, uh, this time of turmoil. Joel 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders, and give ear to all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? Or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children. And let their children another generation. What the chewing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust has left, the consuming locust has eaten. During this time of turmoil in the six-year reign of Athaliah, a great and terrible plague of locusts had spread across the land, all consuming just wave after wave. What Joel is specifically calling out here is the life cycle of a plague of locust. First, the chewing locust and the swarming locust. These are going to be the full-grown adult insects that are brought in by the initial plague, right? Next, the crawling locust. Now, to paint a better picture of this, in 1915, um, modern-day Israel and Syria experienced a devastating plague of locust. The first swarms came in March and in clouds so thick that they blocked out the sun. The female locust immediately began laying eggs, 100 at a time. Witnesses say in one square yard, there was as many as 65,000 to 75,000 eggs. In a few weeks, they hatched, and they were the young locusts resembled large ants. They didn't have the ability to fly yet, and so they got around by hopping. They marched along at 400 to 600 feet a day, devouring everything, consuming everything in their path. Finally, referencing here in our text is the consuming locust. These are the full-grown adults that had developed from the eggs that were laid by the first wave that came into the land, and they've developed, and now they're starting to lay eggs of their own. The, The cycle is complete. It's starting over again. 
One square yard, 65,000 to 75,000 locust eggs, now fully grown, laying eggs of their own, and consuming everything in their path that the previous horde had missed. Verse 6 continues, For a nation has come up against my hand, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and his fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste to my vine, and he has ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girdled in sackcloth for her husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns. For the grain is ruined and the new wine has dried up and the oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Verse 11 continues. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up, and with it the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All of the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. So, Everything that they have worked for, everything that they had worked towards, everything that they had hoped in, the investments that they had made, both monetarily and in the physical effort of maintaining these crops, these fields, and these vineyards, is totally wasted away. Everything that they hoped in, everything that they believed in, has disappeared within a matter of days. The last part of verse 12 says, Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. So not only was everything destroyed and rotting physically, but they were depressed. They were downhearted and they were completely void of any joy. I feel like many of us can relate to that today. Verse 17 continues, The seed shrivels under clods. They don't even have dirt. They have dirt clods. Storehouses are in shambles and barns are broken down. For the grain has withered. Verse 18, how the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. Lord, to you I cry out. Fire has devoured the open pastures and the flame has burnt all of the trees in the field. The beast in the field cry out to you, for the water in the brooks is dried up. The fire has devoured the open pastures. Right here is a depiction of total, absolute, and complete destruction. The land is barren and is stripped of any and all nutritional value. The wine has dried and the oil has gone rancid. The trees have withered and with it the life-giving fruit that they once bared and brought forth. The animals in the pasture are restless and they groan mercilessly because they have nothing to eat. Furthermore, fire has consumed the remaining dry grass in the open pastures and has burned the once fruitful trees. Even the beasts and the various predators in the area cry out for water as it is dried up and there's not a drink to be found. Utter, complete desolation and destruction. How many times have we ran into this in our own lives? 
First one thing happens that impacts us, and then another, and then another. Wave after wave of disappointments and destruction hit, draining us of both resources mentally and physically. First, you may be passed over for promotion, and then the starter goes out in the car. Then a relationship that you once had cherished is severed, leaving some, uh, you and someone else hurting and lonely. Wave after wave, eroding the very foundation of your life, just a little bit at a time. Until you're left feeling absolutely empty and void of passion, there is no joy. The things that used to bring you joy no longer bring pleasure or peace to your life. You're just making it through one struggle to the next struggle. The fervor and the vigor that you once brought in your daily walk with God has long since gone by the wayside. And all you're simply trying to do is make it through life. I have a feeling that some of us are sitting in that very position today. You're disappointed and you're let down. You're tired and you may be lonely. You're struggling financially and you're looking up at the horizon. And you're saying, my God, will this plague ever end? I am here to tell you today that the plague ends now. No more suffering and no more crying. No more fretting and no more worrying. No more anxiety-ridden nights as you lie in bed, wondering when things are going to get better while sleep evades your every attempt. Right now, children of God, right now is the time for our change. Right now is the time for God to put restoration back in your life. He wants to step down into your situation, into your very soul, and restore the passion that maybe once existed. Restore the enthusiasm that you once had and restore the peace that the enemy has taken away. It's coming back and it's going to come back today. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, will you? Somebody shout. Somebody do something. Things are about to happen and lives are about to be changed. I guarantee if I walked it up and I handed you a winning ticket to the lottery, you'd be pretty excited about it. You as a child of God just won the ultimate lottery in every fashion and every facet of your life. The time for change is upon us and the time for change is now. But it doesn't come without effort, people. It doesn't come without taking a step in faith and taking action to move you out of your current circumstance. So what does it look like? And how do we prepare ourselves for the, to step out in faith and receive what God has for us? Joel 1 verse 14 reads, Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders together and all the inhabitants of the land unto the house of the Lord and cry out to the Lord. The message that Sister Sandy delivered last Sunday was that we need to take a step in faith. We need to step out in faith. And the people of Judah had to do the exact same thing. They were instructed to start fasting and call together a sacred assembly Gather the elders together and all the inhabitants of the land and cry out to God in one mind and in one accord. They were ordered to take a step out in faith and trust God to be there to meet their needs. Joel 2.14 takes us a step further and it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Rent your heart, not your garments. 
Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. I want to revisit the first part of verse 13 where it says, so rent your heart and not your garments. God is not asking us to simply tear our clothes. That is meaningless. You can rip your shirt and have a ma- in a matter of minutes have another one on to replace it. No, God is asking us to change our heart, not our clothes. Look at what's on the inside of your heart today and change those things that are deep down that may be keeping you from God. A change that starts on the inside will make change come through and be evident on the outside. Oh, this is the hard part. I spoke earlier in my message about having a difficult time praying last Sunday and reaching out to God. Truth be told, for some time now, I feel that there's been a bit of a wall between myself and God. I've grown somewhat distant from God, little by little. Now, am I a backslidden heathen? Certainly not. But small concessions I've made here and there have allowed a gap to come between God and myself. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And it always starts with something small. A little here and a little there. An inappropriate joke here or a poor use of language there. The bottom line is this. I haven't been the same person on Friday night as I have been on Sunday morning. Now, that's no little statement to make, but I'll reluctantly admit it. I may be alone in making that statement, but I feel where the rubber meets the road that several others could find themselves in my very same shoes with varying levels of severity. And why God would continue to call me Why God would continue to call me to service is a mystery to me. I look at my heart. I look at the sin that I've had in my life, my daily struggles. and I continually ask, why me, God? Why me? I have absolutely no business standing up here and trying to deliver a message or offer spiritual leadership and guidance to anyone. But in my walk with God, there's one thing that has never changed through all of the ups and the downs. In my walk with Christ, in the high times and in the lows, God has always been gracious and merciful. And praise God for it, man. Look at verse 13 once again. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. I have absolutely no problem admitting my shortcomings and asking the Lord for forgiveness and to help me to be a better man, to help me to be a better son, to help me to be a better father and a husband. And in turn, God has always been gracious and merciful and slow to anger. 
I thank God Almighty that he doesn't give to me what I deserve. So many people nowadays, they're, they're, they, you know, they're, they're, when is my turn? You know, that's not fair. I want what I deserve. I am so glad that God doesn't give me what I deserve because life would look very, very different for this old boy if he did. The deck is stacked, and it's not stacked in my favor. I have nothing to boast and nothing to be proud of, but God is merciful. God didn't build the wall between him and I. I did. I felt shame in praying because... Not because of God's judgment against me, but because my own judgment against myself. I no longer felt God's presence in my life because I'd allowed the fire in my heart to burn out. And I developed a lackluster kind of attitude. This had to change in order for me to get up here today. If you have ever tried to write a sermon, a lecture, or a lesson, it does not come easily if you go it alone. God has to be the inspiration and the driving factor for what is spoken. And that simply will not come if your heart is not in the right place. I had to take a step out in faith and simply trust that God would meet me there. I had to step out trusting and knowing that God was going to bring me out of this barren land that I had brought myself into. This land of isolation, the land of desolation and anxiety, and into a land where I can obtain the treasures and the blessings that God has in store for my life. And that's exactly what the people of Judah had to do as well. And when they did, God showed up. When they stepped out in faith, God met them there. Look at verse two, um, or, sorry, chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. Hey, mom, I'm trying to kind of preach a message here. If you could just, if you could just silence your phone, I think that would be best. I'm reading Joel, so. And you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. He goes on to say in verse 21, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Don't be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures are springing up. And the trees bear fruit. And the fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad, you children of Zion. And rejoice to the Lord Almighty God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully. And he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the threshing floor shall be full of wheat. And the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Now, I read this part at the beginning of my message, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read it again now that we have a little bit of context behind it. Now that, we, now that we understand the severity and how things were going at that time and what this means for the people of Judah. 
So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I set among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. These people haven't had a satisfied meal in six years, at least six years. Do you think that they even know what it looks like or what it feels like to be full and satisfied? After six years, they have to have a hard time even, even picturing this in their minds, that they have so much that they don't have to ration. They can simply eat in abundance and enjoy. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Verse 27 continues, And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also, my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Church, this is far from the only example that we have where God has brought something seemingly dead and lost back to life. Ezekiel chapter 7 speaks of the prophet Ezekiel, who was led to a valley of dead, dried bones. The Lord speaks to Ezekiel and asks him, Son of man, can these dried bones live? And Ezekiel answers and says unto him, O Lord, thou knowest. <laughs> thou knowest they can, God. God then commanded Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, and Ezekiel did as he was commanded. Moments later, a great noise was heard, and the ground began to shake. Bone after bone began to assemble themselves until the skeletons were fully assembled and put together. Then God wrapped sinew and tissue and muscle and finally covered flesh around the bodies. God then commanded to Ezekiel to prophesy to the four winds so that they may breathe the breath of life. He did as God had commanded, and the wind blew, and those dead, dried bones that had once laid on the ground in this desolate valley out in the middle of nowhere, stood up and became an exceeding great army. John chapter 11 speaks of a feller named Lazarus. I think you know him. His sister sent word to Christ saying, Lord, behold, he in whom you love is sick. Christ answered in saying, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Christ stayed where he was for two more days, two more days, and then he went to see Lazarus, saying unto his disciples, My friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. I go that I may wake him. I'm going to stop right there. Ad lib. Tangent. Tangent. I have felt like I have been sleeping and I have been in a dream for the past several, several months. I, f I feel like it's just simply a day-to-day. -day. It's just the motions. You get up in the morning, you take your shower, you go to work. You get your cup of coffee, you answer the emails, you answer the phone, you push, you try, you come home from work. You make the dinner, you do the dishes, you get up the next day, you repeat, repeat, repeat. 
It's been a dream. Some of you have been living the same dream. God's saying this morning, it's time to wake up. This is your wake up call. I go, but I go that I may wake him. God was headed to wake up Lazarus and he's headed to wake you up this morning too, church. Answer the call and wake up. See what God has in store for your life. When Jesus shows up, he's greeted by Martha who says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responded saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Christ then asked where they had laid the body and they took him to the tomb. He asked that the stone be rolled away. And Martha gave pause. Martha declared that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Surely he stinks by now. Christ responded in saying, Did I tell you if you believe you would see the glory of God? They then rolled the stone away and Christ began to pray. And verse 43 of that text reads, Jesus lifted up his eyes. Jesus lifted up his eyes. He got out of his current circumstance. He refocused his thoughts on God. He lifted up his eyes. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. That they may believe that you sent me. Now he, uh, now when he had said these things, he cried aloud, uh, a creek crowd with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come forth!" And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said unto him, "Loose him and let him go." I'm here to tell you folks that God is the same today that what he is then, or what he was then. God is capable of restoring a landscape after the desolation of a plague, and he's able to bring restoration to your circumstances. If God's capable of creating an army out of a pile of dead and dried bones and raising a man from the dead, then he's capable of creating the change that you seek in your life. But take note, each of these miracles required an act of faith. The children of Judah had to come to them, uh, had had to come and get themselves in the right place and cry out to the Lord and receive his favor. Ezekiel had to obey God's command and prophesy to the dead bones. Those surrounding Lazarus around the tomb that day had to roll the gravestone away. God's got a bounty of a blessing stored up for each and every one of us today. But we have to be willing to step out in faith. And God can and will meet you there and see you through. I'm going to ask the musicians to come this morning. I'm going to ask that everybody just stand. I think I did pretty good on time. 
And I'd like, for, I'd like for you to simply just give me a show of hands. How many out there this morning are ready for God to restore some things in your life? Get them hands in the air. Let me see them. How many of you people under the sound of my voice are ready to step out in faith and receive the blessings that God has in store for your life? God's season of restoration, folks, is about to begin. And he has something planned for each and every one of us here today. My prayer yesterday afternoon as I paced back and forth in front of this pulpit and as, I, <laughs> and as I bowed here and knelt at the altar seeking God's face. God told me in my prayers yesterday that he wants to pour out his spirit upon his people this day. God desires a closer walk and a closer relationship with each and every one of you. God wants to restore you mentally God wants to restore you physically, spiritually, and financially. But we need to tear down the walls that we have built between us and God. He hasn't gone anywhere. God hasn't relocated. God has a desire to bring his people together and bring his people close so that we may strengthen, so that we may encourage one another. But this change, this restoration has to begin with us. Begin the change that you want to see right now, today. I'd like to see the elders come to the front of the building, please. Shane, please come up front. Sandy, you too, please. Now, each and every one of you who raised your hands, I'd like for you to step out and I'd like for you to come front this morning. Come up front. We're going to pray and we're going to come together in prayer as a church body in one mind and in one accord and usher in this new era in our lives. We've gone through the tough times, people. And we've endured through the tough times together. We've made it through the battles and we've persevered. Now we're going to come together and we're going to pray for one another and we're going to praise God and we're going to give God thanks for the restoration that he's bringing into our lives. Your step in faith begins right now. Begin to worship God this morning as the band plays.